0: If you don't subscribe to our Women's Performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hey, feisty friends. Welcome back to the Women's Performance Podcast. We are starting Season 3. I am so excited to be back in the studio and recording episodes again. Um, I hope you all enjoyed listening to Molly on the Business of Fitness podcast, which has been occupying this feed for a few weeks now. And for those who have been enjoying it, as I have, uh, you'll be thrilled to know that that podcast now has its own feed. So head over to your podcast app and search the Business Of fitness, and you will find Molly's podcast and the great episodes. All the past episodes will be there, and all the amazing episodes to come. So, I'm recording today in our feisty HQ office in Victoria, Canada. And I expected it's a Saturday afternoon, and I expected it to be fairly quiet in here, but unfortunately, there are there's there are a few people um, holding a rather loud meeting in the the conference room next door on top of it we're having a windstorm and I don't even know if I have power in my house when I go home but um, all of that's to say and we're gonna talk about grace giving ourselves grace a little bit later in the podcast but all of that's to ask for a little bit of grace from you all up front if you hear some of those noises in the background One of my goals for season three for the podcast is to bring in some new perspectives on performance, some new voices we can learn from. And so myself and my producers, Millie and Carrie, have been working hard at finding some amazing women to interview, and I'm so excited about uh, bringing all those interviews to you in the weeks to come. And for today, and to kick off our new season, producer Millie and I chose our favorite moments from the podcast so far. Because we've been away for a while, I thought it would be really cool to recap some of the great moments and conversations I've had. So today we're going to hear from three world-beating athletes, a nutritionist, and a therapist all in one episode. And of course, stay tuned until the end because I will sort of summarize everything I feel that I learned from these incredible women. So first up, we have a clip from episode eight, which was was with Amelia Boone, who is a four-time obstacle course racing world champion. She's a three-time winner of the world's Toughest Mudder, a Spartan Race champion, and somehow manages to keep a day job at Apple as a lawyer. And I think the thing that I respect Amelia most for is how open she has been about her lifelong struggle with an eating disorder, even the fact that she has in recent years checked herself into a clinic to deal with her um, challenges with an eating disorder. So here we pick up the conversation with Amelia, where I'm asking her kind of as a parent, but even just... Um, as a human, like what I feel what she feels the factors are that went that led her down that road to um, an eating disorder. So let's hear from Amelia.
1: Yeah. And when you, I read this morning, um, I actually read
0: quite a few articles about you this morning Um, and I read somewhere about how you sort of developed the eating disorder in high school and college. Mm -hmm. And that was a big part of why you didn't play
1: sport. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us like a bit about that part of your life? Yeah. So I, you know, and it's funny because when people do ask me about, about, oh, did you play sports growing up and things like that? And I say, yeah, I did. And I was good. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I was 15, I developed an eating disorder and I got very, very sick very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that at the time people didn't really know what was going on. I had dealt with obsessive compulsive disorder as a youth. And so they are from a very young age. I think I was diagnosed when I was seven or eight and, um, So they just kind of thought that maybe my fears around food were related to that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I was hospitalized my sophomore year of high school and I missed an entire year of sport, um, really. And because I just wasn't in a position to play, I was, I was too sick Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that's hard. And then when I kind of like got into a solid state or a more solid state of recovery, I kind of wanted to go back to sport, But I had just found at that point that like all the other girls had gotten so much better than me, you know, because like Mm -hmm. I just, I missed a key developmental phase and it was hard for me. It was very hard for my ego to like want to go back to sport Mm -hmm. and then to realize that that time away and the damage that I had done to my body and not feeding it properly were already kind of like dampening my athletic pursuits at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I know that um, you've been very open about your eating disorders. And like, I feel grateful for people like you who are leaders who have talked about that stuff, because I think it's very relatable. I've seen it in our, like active communities and at our Women's Summit last year too. like just people creating an open environment, we can talk about that stuff. And then realizing, oh, like, to some extent, the that intersection between mental health and the cultural things that we're taught about who we are as women, the things that we internalize, like a lot of us experience the same things, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and the same pressures. Do you, have you thought at all about like, why, (laughs) you know, like, I know it's probably like very complicated, yeah, unable to answer, but like, how did you as a 15 year old end up in that place?
1: You know, it's, that is like the $64,000 question. I think I've Mm -hmm. spent so many years trying to figure that out. And honestly, the The answer for me is different than probably than the ninety nine percent of people who go into eating disorder or who go and who develop an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I was never pressured, you know, to lose weight. I was always a slender kid. I was always in a smaller body. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I had a very high internal, perfectionistic, anxious side that then kind of used food as a coping mechanism to kind of Mm -hmm. deal with my anxiety. And, um, and so I've also like kind of dealt with some guilt around that because I don't, I don't necessarily know why I developed it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, it's like, I, I always have parents reach out to me and ask me like, okay, well, like, what can we do to stop our daughter, our son from developing an eating disorder? Mm -hmm. And I go, look, I had phenomenal parents. I didn't have diet culture in my house. I didn't have, they were never on diets. They were never pushing me to lose weight or anything like that. And I still developed an eating disorder. So sometimes like it, it, you just, it just happens. You can't predict it, you know? And you, so you can't really feel guilty about it Mm -hmm. um, in some ways.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's any relationship to, like you said, you were 15 to like puberty
1: and kind of your body changing quickly too? Yeah. You know, I, um, I don't, it could have been, I don't remember that being a conscious kind right. of thing. Cause I also was a late bloomer. I don't even think at that point I was, had gone through puberty right? or I was, I was just, I, I, I remember, I think I got my period right when I was like 15. And so mm-hmm. I hadn't really gone through all of the changes. Um, but I know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. Um, and then that also, and it's a really poor time in your life to not be feeding yourself appropriately as well. Um, cause mm-hmm. just like the damage that it can do. So
0: I thought it was super interesting when Amelia talked about how she Despite being in a supportive environment like in her with her home and her family, she still developed the, the eating disorder as a teenager because I think a lot of parents sort of sort of struggle with this one or try to think how do we you know how do we keep our daughters and children um, thinking positively about themselves and, and their bodies? And I think for me it kind of underlines uh, the need to take, a kind of multi-pronged approach like we are with uh this podcast to understanding issues in women's health and in health broadly um and to look at things from a variety of angles you know not just to focus on physiology or science or nutrition or um mental health and psychology or or the cultural influences but that actually at the intersection of all of these places is where we sometimes find our most significant health challenges So again, I just want to show my gratitude to Amelia for being so open. And if you want to hear that whole episode, it was an incredible episode. It is episode eight on the feed. So head over there. Next up, we have Cindy Miller from episode 19. Cindy is a therapist and was a former division one athlete and a volleyball coach. And I talked to Cindy. This is a thing. This, This is, um, something that's really close to my heart is literally how to stop buying into your own bullshit. The bullshit being, you know, your own, the, your own bully inside your head that's telling you negative things about yourself. Like how do we stop buying into that shit? So that's what I talked to Cindy about. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm wondering about this curiosity piece that you just mentioned, like the inspector gadget thing. Um, do you mean like curiosity about our own thoughts? Like why, why we're thinking that? Right. Interesting. So that takes a, that takes the ability to be able to like separate yourself from what your thought actually is. Like, how do you help people get to that point from between like buying into your own bullshit, which is like believing the thought immediately when it comes in and creating that gap? Like, actually I can move this thought over here. I can look at it and examine it and see if
2: I want to, to change my thinking in the future.
0: How do you help people do that?
2: So I do kind of much like you're doing of maybe like taking notes as I'm talking, like about <laughs> You can future see my pen like yeah. waving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I do the same thing. I make some mental notes. And, and at this point, I, I tend to not write um, a lot because I'll, I can't focus long enough. I'll like end up writing too much. And then I'm like, wait a second. I forget what you said. Um, but I will kind of make mental notes of things that they said, and I will start to question them you know so i will start that conversation of you know you said this what did you mean by that um and then you know as they continue to work with me what i find is um right now i have i have a um a client who anytime uh, we we've talked about the, the way in which she responds to things. Um, I'm trying to be vague to can, to maintain confidentiality, um, the way she responds to things, um, she's recognizing it now. And so like, before I can even answer and she's like, I know, I know, I know I'm doing it again. Like she's starting to separate and notice that. Um, yeah. and it's actually really annoying at first because you start to realize how much bombardment that like inner critic or inner monster or inner mean girl is what some like i have some people name their inner mean girl um and and like oh that's becky talking or oh that's you know um and starting to separate like actually cognitively separate that can be those are two different parts of me this is a learned behavior the inner critic is a learned behavior no babies come out of the womb like Oh, my knees too fat, or oh, my squishy belly, like everyone, you know, like yeah, no baby, like infant toddler. If you talk to a toddler, they are like hot shit. Toddlers think everything is wonderful about them, and that's beautiful. And then we start to have it conditioned out. So, really starting to notice that's not an inherent thing. We were taught that.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. So I, I'm thinking like for our listeners or people who are um like individually we can offer that kindness to ourselves so like what you said like if someone if one of your close friends or your counselor or whomever is asking that question like i i think with one of my someone who's um close to me just this morning right he had said something negative about himself you know yesterday and i actually this morning went back and called him out because i was like that's not my experience of you like you said this and that's not how, and then he's like, oh yeah, you're right. And like, we could do that for ourselves too. Right. Like if we're th- whatever you're thinking, it's like, oh, would your bestie say that that's
3: who you are? Like
2: if your
0: answer is no, or the people that love you, then, you know, then you should question the, the, those ways of thinking. So that was like a really round the mm-hmm. way, way of saying that. But I was just trying to think of like something someone could do immediately if they didn't yeah. have
2: like that counselor or someone like you in mm-hmm. their life. And it's very much aligned with um, an expert and I, I, will, I will say the queen of self-compassion. Her name is Dr. Kristen Neff. Um, she talks a lot about like, how would you speak to a friend? Mm.
0: As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tifosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof, poly-bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tefosi has shades for you, whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So... Head on over to TafosiOptics.com and use the code FM20, FM as in feisty media, to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at TafosiOptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high-quality protein, like eggs or whey, and by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein.
2: and if you wouldn't call your friend a stupid dumbass for doing, you know, for tripping over a line in your backyard, um why would you why would you say that to yourself, right? Because well, because everybody else deserves grace but I don't. Yeah. But when we think of like the collective, you are a part of the people too. You are yeah. a part of the collective too.
0: I am just such a huge fan and proponent of self-compassion and giving yourself grace and i'll talk about it a bit later but i think that, that is like the foundation to any personal journey starts there and our next clip is from episode 12 with holly samuelson uh some of you might remember her she's holly's a dietitian a personal trainer and coach and she gave some really great what i loved about this episode um is that she gave some really great practical advice for women on, on how to eat as an active woman. And I just thought it was really concise and precise. So I wanted to share that.
1: Um, Okay. So now
0: like in your work as a dietitian now, what do you see as some of the most like common challenges for that, for active women too, or for the runners that you work with and other athletes?
4: I think um, what we just talked about, one thing that's super challenging that I see often is that like nutrition for the general public, especially through, like I just told you, like the restrictive lens in the medical field, or even like just the kind of diet culture based fitness celebrity, you know, appearance-based field, mm-hmm. it ha- it just doesn't apply. <laughs> it doesn't apply to you if you are doing like physical activity or if you're identifying yourself as an athlete, meaning you're going to exercise on purpose to, you know, improve your skills in some in some way, mm-hmm. no matter what level you are. It's just a lot of general nutrition recommendations out there. They may not apply to you. So, when you then learn about like sports nutrition recommendations, it can become super confusing for people Mm -hmm. like right now, whether it's right or wrong, you know, in the media, carbohydrates are the devil. They're terrible. You know, they're the root of all evil, but in the sports nutrition world, they're like the foundation of everything that we teach. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a lot of contradicting things like that, that I think are challenging, including Again, like your your energy being restricted, low calorie, this, you know, diet, um, not eating enough, going to bed hungry, a lot of those messaging in kind of a diet cultural lens, like it's just going to lead to injury, hormone imbalance, and so many other problems as an athlete. as a healthy person too, but especially as an athlete.
1: Yeah. It's certainly when I was an elite
0: athlete, um, I like we were, it was in the middle of like the carbs, like the massive carbs for athletes. Like I was even told by, and, and to some extent, I still do this. So it's not necessarily all bad or wrong, but like, I was told by my nutritionist at the time to have, um, like to have candy, like during and after exercise. Um, I still use that one. So, but like, and I, I started to eat way more carbohydrates than I, naturally tended to um at that time and i started to get blood sugar problems like when my blood sugar would just drop off the planet like that i had never had problems like that before so like clearly whatever i was craving you know was like kind of working like that i needed a little bit more fats and and protein right um then it was just like it, it, it's such an interesting time and now it's like shift now it's gone like the other way you see athletes trying to cut carbs completely out like you said like and it's like that doesn't work either because we're all just walking around like zombies and like why are we so tired So <laughs> that didn't work yeah. so it's like there is a lot of um misinformation out there um I wanted to ask you like how what are some things that you wish like every sort of woman who now, like, like you said, like who identifies an athlete or who act, who exercises on purpose n- would know about nutrition. Like what are some, a couple practical tips that you would give anyone?
4: Um, yeah. So I think the, the biggest things are as an active woman, like you, you need to, you need to eat within an hour of waking up. You need to probably every two to four hours after that. <laughs> and you Definitely need to eat all of the macronutrients. They're all important. They do different things for us. There's not one that's like better than the other. They're just, they do different things for us. So those include carbohydrates, which, you know, turn into glucose and we eat them. And that's our brain and muscles main fuel source. Um, also protein, which turns into amino acids when we eat them. And that helps build our muscle tissue and it helps us feel full because it digests really slowly and fats which also digest really slowly so they help us feel full they're involved in building our hormones up and they can also be an energy source but they're not the most efficient energy source compared to carbohydrates when it comes down to how they're broken down in these fancy biochemistry um situations that I won't get into but those would probably be the biggest things. Like you need to feel your body often throughout the day. You need Mm. to do it in a way that is intuitive, but there's also probably going to be some ways where it does feel a little bit forced because Mm -hmm. as you know, sport can like blunt our appetite if we're really stressed, you know, and, and we are doing things that are not intuitive, like running a marathon. That's not intuitive at all. (laughs) Um, (laughs) no one's just like gee i think i'll go run 26.2 miles today on the dot um (laughs) so some of it's not going to be intuitive and it will feel a little forced but that's okay you know just kind of give yourself some grace
0: amazing thank you holly Eat within one hour of waking up. Eat every two to four hours after that. Eat all of the macronutrients, including carbs, protein, and fats. So simple, such good advice. Okay, and our next clip comes from episode 18 with Jennifer Farr Davis. She's a hiker, author, speaker, and entrepreneur who at one time held the overall record on the Appalachian Trail, which is like a record that took 46 days to achieve. And I really, you know, when Millie and I were going, we're talking about which episodes to go back to, to look for our favorite clips, I can remember... I really remember talking to Jennifer because like by the end of the episode, if you haven't listened to it, we sort of start to almost have a back and forth about sharing our own struggles and um, helping each other. It turned into a little bit of a microtherapy session. Um, And so I just sort of loved this conversation. How did you learn that where there's like the good outcomes of that kind of grit?
3: Um, so that was totally my belief. I think for most of my life is that getting to the end makes the journey worthwhile, even if it's, even if it's miserable, <laughs> like if you get to the end, there's a reward there. And I definitely think that is true and it's been true. Um, but I do think it's shifting and part of it, part of what I struggle with is I I don't have the same drive and motivation that I used to. And that's not just for like, um, physical challenges. Um, and, and part of it, I think is cause there's too much on my plate right now. So when you feel like you can't do anything well, it makes you less motivated, you know? Um, and so recognizing that and, and, um, in order then to refine or rediscover a driver motivation, I'm going to have to stop doing so much. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying for my record, um, we had a friend helping us and I was at a really low point and he has hiked the whole Appalachian trail 18 times. I mean, he's like an Uber (laughs) endurance hiker. And I looked at him just feeling horrible. And I said, how do you know when it's time to quit? And he said, there's a, there's a difference between stopping and quitting. And he didn't explain it. And then I had like 2000 miles to think about it. So I was like, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Uh And what I, you know, what I came to is that, um, there is a difference between stopping and quitting and quitting is when, uh, you wish you had kept going, you know, there's regret. Um, but stopping is when you make a decision to step away and you know, it's the right decision and it feels right in your heart. And, um, So I think right now in my life, um, I am at the place where there, a lot has piled up and a lot of it's good things. So it's hard to make decisions, but I think if I can be smart and decide what I need to stop doing, then I'll be able to like regain some of that excitement and drive and motivation to do one thing or a few things really well.
0: thank you, Jennifer. Um, I just love that moment when she talks about the difference between stopping and quitting. You know, stopping doing something is a decision that you're making so that you can focus on the most important things in your life versus quitting is something you would do if it gets too hard or, you know, whatever reason. Um, I think that that's a really, really important distinction and we should never feel guilty about stopping our last clip for today is from episode seven with the, um, inspiring Lale Wilcox. I, I heard from this, from quite a few of you about how inspiring you found, um, Lale's story um, this episode and also her talk at the Women's Performance Summit earlier in the year. Um, Lail won the 2016 version of the Trans Am bike race outright. Uh, it's a self-supported race that goes 4,200 miles across the United States, which I can't even imagine doing a race where like you're sleeping and you're eating and everything's actually part of the race, uh, which took her 18 days <laughs> Which is mind blowing in and of itself, just doing it, let alone winning it. Um, And actually, I I found this clip and just Lael's general demeanor and attitude towards life so inspiring. Okay, all of these stories already. Okay, so this is twenty sixteen when you like you're out there. Did you when you got to the race? Did you think, okay, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna win overall. Yeah. Oh
5: Oh, yeah. Amazing. This is ridiculous though because I like I'd done one other road race in my whole life which was a 400 mile road race Mm -hmm. that I had borrowed my mom's bike for. That was in 2014. That was like my first race. And I was like, uh, with that one experience, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm totally going to (laughs) win. I'm going (laughs) to win this whole thing. I'm going to beat all the men and I'm going to break the course record. I like set this up, like talk about shooting for the stars, you know, but I was like, basically I was like, I'm doing that. right? Um, And then I get into this race and I was like, you know, day five, I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. It was a heat wave. The people that were winning, there was like a man and woman that were 150 miles ahead of me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm such a loser. I was like, why like suck at this? They are crushing me. Like I'm never going to catch them. But the thing was they were sleeping like one hour a night. Right. And I was sleeping five. So I was losing all that time. But it's like for a race that this race in the end took me 18 days. It's like, Mm -hmm. they got into such a deep hole from not sleeping so early on that it was like over time I could catch them. Right. So I just stuck with my, my like agenda of like five hours a night, just keep going as hard as you can and then see what happens. Yeah. And I kind of, I read that story this
0: morning about how you did eventually overtake the leading man. Do you (laughs) want to tell us that? It's kind of cool.
5: Yeah. So then, okay. So there were these two man and woman super far ahead of me. I catch a woman in like Colorado before the halfway point, which was Kansas. Mm -hmm. And then at the halfway point, uh, the guy who was still in first like he realized how kind of close I was getting to him and he stopped sleeping at all. Like he'd only take cool. like cat naps. Cause he was, I think he was so terrified. I was gonna get him. Yeah. Cause he was like, I can't let this woman beat me. Right. Um, but then I was just like kind of gaining on him, which uh-huh. is, even thinking about it, I'm like, I was like hunting this guy down. Right. Was well, like, it's a race, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a race. Like that's fair. But you think yeah. about like the mental place we both were, it's like, Ooh, that's so weird. Right. Um, anyway, so I get, I'm, gaining on him, but he's still ahead of me. And then like basically three days from the finish, I still had like 750 miles to go. And I was like, I have to start cutting sleep if I wanna catch this guy, cause there's no other way I can do it. Uh, so then I, I started cutting sleep. The final three nights I slept a total of six hours uh, mm-hmm. and I caught wow. him in the last night at like three in the morning.
1: Mm-hmm. And
5: um, yeah, I caught him. He was, so we had both woken up to continue He woke up and he was so out of it. He started riding the route backwards. He rode 10 miles backwards and I caught him and he turned around and started riding next to me. Uh The thing was like, I see this guy in the middle of nowhere in, in the middle of the night. And I was like, who the hell is this? Cause I'd never seen him before because he'd always been ahead of me. So I had no yeah. idea what he looked like. Yeah. And then I asked him what his name is. And he says, Stefan. And then I was like, oh my God, this is the guy I've been chasing. Right. Cause I had no idea if he went backwards. I was like, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. As Soon as he said his name, I started sprinting as fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> Which at that point, like, (laughs) you're just like
2: three in the morning,
5: (laughs) we still have 130 miles to go. And I was like, I'm going to fucking win this race. And I just went for it. Uh I mean, like, I was like, I I was acting like when we were at the finish line, oh my God. And then, um, and then he was like, he was like catching me and then I'd ride harder. And then I took a wrong turn Mm
3: -hmm.
5: and he shouted, you know, it's this way. And so then I come back, I go back, catch him. And then he's like, let's talk. We've been battling for two weeks. Let's finish this together. And I was like, what <laughs> No way I was like finished with you. I've been chasing you. I've been like, I feel like I'm going to die out here. Why would I have tried so hard if we were just going to hold hands and finish? And then I was like, no way. And I took off
1: and yeah. I dropped
5: him and he was gone. That was it. And yeah. then, uh, I realized he's gone. I was like, Oh my God. And then I was like, paranoid. He's going to get me. Then my electronic shifting died again. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh dear God, he's going to get me, you know? And so then I fix it. I shove a couple batteries down my, my seat tube. And yeah. then, uh, yeah. And then I just rode to the finish, like consistently, but it's like, even that scenario, I know, I'm sure, you know, from being like Iron Man. I was like, you're like, you have to pee. And then you're like, I was like, am I going to stop to pee? So I did, I'd be like in a field, like throw my bike down, pee, get back on my bike and go looking behind me. Like, is he coming? But in the end, I, I beat him by like two hours. He Amazing. just totally dropped off. Uh-huh. I'm so happy to be done. I think I was more happy to be finished than to have won. <laughs> I was so over it.
0: <laughs> yes, I believe that. It, I can't even imagine an 18-day race. Oh like that's god. just like I'm mind blown by that. So on behalf of womanhood, though, I would like to say <laughs> on behalf of all of womankind, thank you for not holding hands and finishing.
5: Oh my I'm god. Like, I had like people write me, they write me like messages after that. They're like, we did it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> all did it. That's how I feel it? right now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Like I'm somehow part of this.
5: I mean, every People were like, just shouting at their computer screen as they're watching like my little dot go across the country. <laughs> Cause I that's the that. only thing they could see. Yeah. You know, we just have trackers, that's it.
0: Isn't Lael amazing?
3: Yay! Love her.
0: Okay, I wrote down some key points from these clips that are going to be our take home learns. Well, they were my take home learns from the, these episodes, and I'm hoping they will. You will also find them helpful. First of all, we have the fact that health and performance should never be looked at in a single lens, whether that's science or physiology or nutrition, psychology, philosophy or culture, whatever. Um, You may never have a single explanation for what went wrong or what's going wrong. And also your solutions are probably going to be multi-pronged. Okay, second, your inner critic is a learned thought process. Right. And so I think that the starting point to personal growth is in fact self-compassion and grace. Allowing yourself to make mistakes and let going of the let letting go of those mistakes quickly. So so important. And third, if we want to stay fueled properly, to keep that process of learning and growing, but also to maintain our active lifestyles, uh, we need to fuel properly. And the simplicity with, with which Holly delivered that is so great. So Take it with you. You need a mix of the macronutrient nutrients. Any diet that tells you you shouldn't have carbs or fat or whatnot, probably not for an active woman, probably not designed for an active woman. So you need carbs, protein, and fat. You need to eat within an hour of waking up. I'm still struggling with this one. I also remember Holly told me to drink water before drinking my coffee, which I which I still do, Um, and you need to eat every two to four hours. Um, These are things that despite being so simple that I could could probably, that I definitely (laughs) could use the reminder on. Number four, there is a difference between stopping and quitting. Know the difference, take responsibility for your choices. And last but not least, I love this one. The main reason that people don't achieve what they want in life is because they give up too early. So first, you need to be like, Lael, shoot for the stars, you know, aim big, set your goals, make them big, make them, you know, beyond what you can imagine. And then what's going to happen almost always is you're going to have a little bit of success. You're going to take your mom's used mountain bike or used bike, and you're going to you're going to win that race like Lael did. Um, And then you're going to go through some hard times. You're going to think, what was her quote? She thought, I'm such a loser in the darkest days of the 18-day race um, that she did across America. And then she kept going and won. And I think that's how life works a lot of the time. So thank you for listening to this first episode back of of the Women's Performance Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app. That really does help us. If you like the show, share it on the socials. Um, Let us know why you liked it. Uh, Let us know who you would like to hear. Uh, I'm always open. So thanks all. Have a feisty week. And I'll talk to you next week. And then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Heda's. Heda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, I've personally been running in the Alma Cruz and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Heddas at Hedas.com and use the code Feisty20 for 20% off. That's Feisty20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com, and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose.